Let's give a big round of applause for our band, Shawnee Cash. All right. Always awesome. Love the stripped-down version we get. And glad that the uh, band got a week off, which was awesome. Uh, so, guys, I checked with our math department about last week's sermon. No issues. Everything's good, which is awesome. However, at the escape room, we did have some issues. We had some math problems they needed to solve, and both the leaders and the students had some issues with it. So, I'm really feeling led by the Lord that our first youth, se youth series is going to be something called The Lord of Linear Algebra. It's going to be a 15-week series. Make sure you bring your friends, because it's going to be a ton of fun. So, we're super excited for that. That's obviously not going to be our series, but youth group is starting next week. Super excited for that. And so what we're doing today is we're bringing uh, to a close the series that we've been in called Catalyst. Uh, so just give a recap of what we've been over so far. Uh, in the first message, we defined what a catalyst is, and we said that it's a person or thing that brings about change in a person's life. Uh, and this change can be good or bad. Like there's, not, there's good catalysts and there are bad catalysts. And so we say that Jesus is the ultimate catalyst who wants to come into our lives to bring about growth. He wants to see us become more like Christ. He wants to see us become the people that we are created to be. And so that's what Jesus wants to enter into all of our lives and the lives of our community to do. And so we looked at two primary ways that he does this through. Uh, the first one was spending time with him. Spending time in the Word, spending time with the Great Catalyst, and, and, and we saw how that changes us in multiple ways. One, it equi equips us with truth, which allows us to preach to ourselves when the lies of the world come in to attack us, and also gives us a time for self-reflection. Self-reflection is essential for growth, and for us to spend time with the Lord, reflecting on our lives, reflecting our paths and our ways, it leads to incredible growth into who we were created to be. Last week, we looked at what I like to call catalytic community, which is the body of Christ, the church, and how God wants us to be embedded in this community because we need to be surrounded by people that are pushing us towards who we were created to be rather than pulling us away from. And so we went through a few of the traits, and we said that catalytic community is trustworthy, which means you can be honest and vulnerable with the people in the church, people that are trustworthy, knowing that they're not going to go around and blabbing all your secrets and shouting it from the rooftops, knowing that you can trust them with what is going on in your life because we need to talk through these things. We also said Catholic community is consistent. They're there with us through thick and thin. The Apostle Paul writes that we need to rejoice with those who rejoice, but also weep with those who weep. And finally, they, we need people in our lives that speak truth to us. We shouldn't surround ourselves with people that tell us what we want to hear. We need to surround ourselves with people that tell us what we need to hear. And so the church, the body of Christ, needs to strive to be like this and push each other towards who we created to be rather than pull each other away from that. And so we have on the authority of Scripture that if we sow these things into our lives, if we spend time with God on a daily basis, if we, if we get in community weekly and, and in, as we go throughout the routines of our lives, we will be changed by God. He will mold us into who we were created to be, which brings us to what I want to talk about today, wrapping up this series. But before we dive into our Scripture for today, I'm going to take a moment to pray. Will you please bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we love you and, and are always so grateful for everything that you're doing in our lives and in our community. We thank you that you are our great uh, shepherd, that you lead us, that you guide us, that you're there with us through thick and thin. We're so grateful for your grace, so grateful for your cross, and so I pray that you be with me today as we kind of expound upon your word and look in at, at the ways that you want to change us, the way you want us to grow, Lord, that we may grow into who we were created to be, to have an impact on this world for your glory and for your kingdom. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. 
So if you're looking at your bulletin, you'll see uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. I'll read it again real quick for us. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Fun fact, this is also the, themes, uh, the theme verse for my school, uh, because in other translations it says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Uh, and so that's kind of fun. Went to Liberty University, and that was our theme verse. I don't think it really connects, but that's fine. Anyway, Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Uh, or liberty. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, spending time with God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And the reason I chose this verse today is because I want us all to understand that the change that God wants to bring about in our lives, most more often than not, he does not bring about in an instant. It's normally not in a snap of our fingers where we're suddenly changed, though he does do that with certain people. But for the most part, our change, our being conformed into the likeness of Christ, being, becoming who we were created to be, is a gradual process. And it takes time and it takes effort, which leads to what I want us to talk about today, which is one of the most important variables behind life change, and that is consistency. The most important variable behind life change is consistency. Because earlier in this series, we addressed the fact that we are always changing. There's a bunch of tiny catalysts in our lives that are influencing who we are becoming. A few that we kept bringing up was our family you know, where we come from and also the family that we have now are constantly influencing us and changing us into who we are created to be and also our friends. And the reason that they change us so much is because they're in our lives consistently. We're constantly spending time with our family, constantly spending time with our friends, and so it makes sense that they're influencing who we are becoming. We also talked about how change is inevitable, but progress is optional. We are always changing, but that's not always necessarily a good thing. And that's why God wants to come into our lives to make it a positive change. So if we're, we're going to grow into who God created us to be, then we must intentionally place catalytic habits, catalytic routines into our lives where, where, uh, that God has revealed to us into our lives consistently. So like we've been talking about, we need to be spending time with God consistently. If we spend time in his word, we have the promise of Jesus in John 17, 17, that we will be sanctified in his word. Again, big church word that just means we will be made more like Jesus if we spend time in his word, in his truth. We also need to be spending time consistently in catalytic community with other believers that are pushing us towards who God created us to be. In Hebrews 10, 25, it says we should not neglect meeting together as is the habit, as is the routine of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Ladies and gentlemen, faithfulness to becoming more like Christ, faithfulness to learning how to grow in love, in kindness, in graciousness is a communal event. We cannot do this on our own because lone wolves never make it. So if we do this, we're going to slowly but surely be created or we will slowly but surely become who we were created to be. And this is a gradual process like we see in this passage today. Now all this sounds easy. Like, here's the formula. If you want to become more like Christ, you should obviously spend time with Christ and spend time with people that are becoming more like Christ. That sounds very easy, a very simple formula. And in some ways it is, but if we're honest, this can be very, very difficult. One of the, one of the reasons it's so difficult to be consistent in these things is that it's much easier to be consistent in bad habits than it is in good ones. It's much easier to be consistent in bad habits than good ones. And the reason that this is is because bad habits usually offer instant gratification, whereas good habits offer delayed gratification. 
Uh, I had a experience with instant uh, or struggling against instant gratification this week. Um, you know, normally uh, I allow myself to order out, eat out, uh, uh, whenever, like once a week, maybe twice a week if I'm feeling good. Um, and so, you know, eating out, that's one of the most instant gratifications because then you don't have to cook. Like, all you have to do is throw it out. Like, it's so amazing. Who here loves to eat out? It's so good. It's so awesome. However, it does cost money. And so this week I had some automotive, you know, things come up, some bills come up. And so I was like, all right, Sean, we're not going to eat out this week. We're not going to order out this week. I, I, I run a tight ship with myself. And so I was like, no eating out this week. But Friday came and, and I, you know, was working uh, with my aunt and uncle during the day doing some yard work. And, and nighttime was coming. I didn't have any food prepared. And so I was like, oh, man, like, I really want to eat out. I really want to do this. I, I, I don't want to cook tonight. I don't want to spend the time. And, you know, the boys, the wrecking crew, you know, they're talking in the group chat. And they're ordering out tonight. The boys are ordering out. And so I was like, oh, man, like, they're asking me, do you want to join? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. So struggling with this instant gratification, I was like, I know, I know I shouldn't do this. I know I shouldn't because I need the delayed gratification of saving money. And so by God's grace, I said no. And I spent the hour or three hours, however long it took to make the meal. And it wasn't as good as it would have been if I hadn't, hadn't eaten out. And, and yes, I know, I'm an American hero. I said no to instant gratification. But it was hard. It was difficult. It's difficult to do because good habits, are, it's delayed gratification. You don't often see the results until much later. Um, as I was thinking about this, I thought about there was a time... Uh, in, in my life when I was on campus and I was in seminary and uh, they have like food options for you at campus and so I was kind of noticing that my food habits were getting pretty bad. I was eating a lot of meatball subs, having a lot of carbs, which was really enjoyable, but I was seeing some of the effects and I was like, all right, this isn't good. So I was like, you know what, for lunch, I'm just having salad. It's only salad. There's a salad place. I'm going to start going there. And so I'm going. I don't know if you've ever had a salad, but <laughs> they're not as great as a meatball sub. And you can quote me on that. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm, like, shoving kale into my mouth. Because I saw at Walmart that some Dr. Oz guy says kale's good for you. And he's a wizard, so I guess I need to listen to him. And so I'm eating this kale, and I was like, this is miserable. And, uh, and so I do this for a while. And then weeks go by, months go by, and I slowly start to have more energy. I start to feel a little bit better, still not enjoying the kale that much, but then this one day comes where I'm talking with a friend, and I was like, and I almost involuntary, the words came out of my mouth where it's like, man, I am just really craving a salad right now. <laughs> what? Like, who am I? That doesn't make any sense, but that's the delayed gratification, where if you, if you instill these good habits, these good foods into our lives, ultimately you're going to come to a place where you actually begin to enjoy them. And so I was blown away by that. That was amazing. So this applies to our external life, but then also our spiritual life. And so it's tough to be consistent in things that are good for us because many of the things that are bad for us offer instant gratification. But we always know that delayed gratification is often better for us. Another reason that it's difficult to be consistent in the catalytic havoc that God desires for us is because we have an enemy. Um, there is an enemy to our soul that does not want us to become who we were created to be in Christ. First Peter 5.8 says Satan, that's his name, he's the worst. 
Uh, you can quote me on that. Uh, Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Jesus says elsewhere that he came to steal, kill, and destroy. There's an enemy for our soul who doesn't want us to become who we were created to be in Christ. And so Christ has the power to overcome him, and so we shouldn't be afraid of him. We should be aware of what he's doing, but we shouldn't be afraid of him because Christ has overcome him. But he does not want us to become who God created us to be. And so if we start taking steps towards consistency in these catalytic ways that God has promised will sanctify us and grow us into who we were created to be, we should expect resistance. There will be resistance. And so what I want to do today is shed some light on the ways that Satan will try to oppose our attempts at consistency in these things in order to help us equip for this fight that we will have if we try to uh, pursue after God. So the first way Satan opposes our efforts towards consistency with the catalyst, which is the name of the sermon today, so there's the name, um, consistency with the catalyst, is through distraction. Um, if you're on social media, I, I just found this out. I'm very slow with things on social media. I just found out you can follow hashtags. And if you don't know what a hashtag is, a hashtag is basically if you post a photo or post something and include a hashtag with it, like, you know, hashtag Mondays or hashtag Mercy Me or something like that, when people look up that hashtag, they will see your post. And so people use that uh, to share things and kind of get the word out and things like that. And so because I'm a really cool person, I follow hashtag Jesus memes. Um, and if you don't know what a meme is, don't worry, it's, it's okay. Meme, a meme is basically, uh, well, actually, it's very broad, so it's kind of difficult to explain. But more often than not, a meme is a picture with a caption on it that's very, very funny. And so I follow Jesus memes because there's a bunch of very hilarious Jesus memes out there, uh, and I've got one for us today. I couldn't find it, so I couldn't get it onto the screen, but basically what this Jesus meme I saw uh, showed where it says, me, colon, when I try to get my life together with God. Me, colon, when I try to get my life together with God. And then immediately below that, it says, temptation and distraction, colon. And it shows two guys bursting out of a door like this, running after us. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like, that hits the nail on the head. You know, as soon as we try to get our lives together, immediately temptation and distraction comes into our lives to kind of derail us. And so this is one of the main ways that Satan comes into our lives to prevent us from becoming who God created us to be. Distraction can come in many forms, many, many forms. One of them is busyness. We live very busy lives in America, very, very busy lives. And one of the things that I've heard a preacher say before that I think is really good is that if the devil can't make you bad, he will make you busy. If the devil can't make you bad, he will make you busy. Thank you for the whistle at that. It's really good, right? It wasn't me. It was a Baptist guy. So anyway, um, this, we, <laughs> we see this in uh, Scripture. Uh, Martha and Mary is a really cool story where uh, Jesus is teaching and Mary is sitting at his feet listening to his teaching. And Martha is getting very upset with Mary because she's going around serving, getting all these things together in order to accommodate Jesus. And Jesus actually rebukes Martha instead of Mary, and says that Mary has chosen the good portion that will not be taken away, uh, taken away from him. Which basically means is that Martha chose busyness over spending time with Jesus, and Jesus is saying this is what the priority should be. So Jesus speaks against uh, busyness, and this always convicts me, because uh, one of my favorite things to do in life is uh, too much. I love to do too much. It's kind of, if you know me, it's, it's my big thing. Uh, it runs in my family. I, we're, we're talking with my little brother who's at school, and guess what he's doing is, is too much, absolutely too much. Uh, and so he's trying to do everything at once. I remember 
uh, one time I was working with my dad over the summer. We were doing some construction, and, uh, you know, we got together, and he, we were making a plan for the day because he's kind of the foreman. And my dad comes up to me. He's like, all right, so this is what we're going to do today. We're going to do this, and then this, and then this, and then once we finish that, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And in my head, I'm like, there's no way we're going to get all this done. Oh, this is where I get it from. It's not my dad's fault. I take ownership of it. I take ownership of it. But I was like, this runs in my family, where we're constantly, like, I wake up in the morning, I'm like, this is everything that I'm going to do. And, like, obviously I get about 25% of it done because I always schedule too much. It's just the thing that we run into. And so for me, when I first cannonballed, and this became a problem, this became apparent to me, when I first kind of cannonballed into ministry, I had a ministry position down at school, and uh, I was, you know, trying to do, literally trying to do it all. There was like three or four guys that I was discipling, but I was discipling like six other guys outside of that. I was staying up late, n- late at night to counsel people up to like 3 a.m. I wasn't getting a lot of sleep. I was taking 18 credits. Uh, if people needed to go to like Office Max, I was giving them a ride to Office Max. I was doing way too much, literally anytime, because that's, you know, I struggle with people pleasing. And so naturally, like I'm trying to serve and love everyone. And, and naturally, that led to exhaustion. Uh, there was one point where one of my guys that I was discipling came up to me, uh, and he was sharing about me with me something that was going on in one of the guys that he was discipling. And it was a very serious issue. It was really intense. And in fact, it was so intense that the person sharing with me was, was crying. And so naturally me, like I'm an emotional person, and so I'm trying to empathize with him. And so I was like, you know, he's crying, and I'm like, yeah, here we go. Here we go. Like I got to meet him where he's at. I got to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Here come the tears. Here come the tears. And nothing happened. And so he's telling me all this intense stuff, and I'm feeling absolutely nothing in my heart. So I meet up with my mentor, and I was like, hey, um, I'm not feeling emotions. Uh, is this a problem? Like, is there something? Should I see a doctor? Are there doctors for this? And he actually sat me down. And he's like, oh, my goodness, Sean, I've been waiting for this. You're burnt out. Um, and he's like, I've been waiting for this to happen. You're doing absolutely way too much. And so that was the opportunity where I heard about this thing called boundaries. And we started talking about boundaries, and it was really, really good, and I still haven't learned it. But we're working on it. Um, <laughs> and so this past year, obviously, starting a new job, like, I, I struggle with this because I want to do everything. I want to do so much. And, you know, I'm only part-time with the church, but I want to treat that with full-time intentionality. And so I'm trying to do as much as I can. And naturally, I think towards January, I got really burnt out, and I was like, all right, something needs to change. Something needs to happen. And so I bought a book of course. And uh, I, I was actually an audiobook, and so I listened to it. It was called Essentialism. It's on, you know, doing a few things well. And so I listened to it, and I was like writing down everything that I needed to change in my life. And so a Sunday came around. I was like, all right, this is the day. This is the day that I'm changing everything. Like, I'm, it's starting this week. It's going to be amazing. And literally that week, 15 people reached out to me that needed to talk. 15 people, not, not within the church, outside of the church, 15 people reached out to me. And I was like, this is absolutely insane. And so later on, reflecting on it, I was like, oh my gosh, like here I am trying to change my life. Here I am trying to become who God created me to be. And what does the enemy bring in but distraction? And now those 15 people weren't wrong to reach out to me. I was wrong to say yes to all of them that week and try to do everything right. That was, that was on me. And so The enemy does not want us to become who God created us to be, and so he'll distract us with busyness. Another way he distracts us is through temptation. Um, You know, when we're on the right track, when we're doing things right, we're doing devos, we're going to church, you know, we're we're, we're living the Christian life and we're feeling really good about ourselves, it is in those moments that the enemy sends in temptation, whatever temptation he knows tailor-made for you, and that trips us up. And we do things 
that we told ourselves and we told other people that we would never do again, and yet we do them again. And that temptation comes in, and this is just another way that the enemy keeps us from consistency in the catalyst, which brings me to my next point, which is the next way the enemy keeps us from consistency with God is through shame. When we give in to temptation, when we do things that we know we're not supposed to do, we experience shame. And shame, the definition for it is painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by our acknowledgement of what we have done wrong. And we see this in, in like the first couple pages of the Bible because Adam and Eve, they sin against God, they disobey God, and they immediately feel shame. And so they cover themselves up because they're ashamed of being naked and they hide from God because they're afraid to be confronted by God. So this is what, he's been doing this since the beginning. This is one of his most intense tactics. You know, we don't want to keep going. You know, if we mess up, we don't want to keep going with God. We don't want to go back to church because we feel terrible about ourselves because of how we've messed up. We feel shame and we feel that we're not worthy of God's love. We're not worthy of other people's friendships. And this leads us down a downward spiral to more poor decisions. You know, this is the story of the prodigal son. We talked about this last week. But the prodigal son went to the father and asked for his inheritance. He got his inheritance and he went and he spent it wastefully. And he, and he did a bunch of things that his father would not approve of. And ultimately where that led to him was him running, ap- he ran out of a ton of money. And ultimately he ends up hiring himself out to a person. And he's looking at pigs because he's working for a farmer, I'm guessing. He's looking at these pigs that are eating this slop. And he's wishing that he was eating as good as the pigs. Now, Jesus, because it's a parable, he doesn't specify how long the prodigal son stayed there, how long he worked there wishing he could eat as good as the pigs. But I'd imagine the shame that he was feeling, because he didn't want to go back home, because then he'd have to confront what he did in front of his father. I'd imagine the shame kept him there for a while. And it finally says when he came to his senses, that's when he finally went back. And what does he tell his father, or at least tries to tell his father before grace comes in? He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And so this is what the enemy does to make us get away from consistency with the catalyst. We not only feel shame over things that we've done, but things that we haven't done that we know we're supposed to. Personal story from my life. Uh, I have a little brother. His name's Josh. He's awesome. One of my, yeah, he's, he's amazing. One of my favorite people. I love him, love him to death. He's down at my alma mater, which I'm super, super proud of. And he's this amazing guy. Um, but for a while, there's been a lot of, of shame, at least on my end, in our relationship, because I reflect back on my life. I reflect back, and I'm very ashamed that I was never a really good older brother to him. Like, I look back on when, he was in, when I was in high school and when he was in elementary school and middle school, and I was like, man, I never took time out of my day to spend with him. I never was intentional to spend time with him. And there were points where I know that he needed an older brother, and I was not there for him. And so when I was at college... Uh, and I was reflecting on this, and people were spending time with me. I was like, man, I really want to start being an older brother. Uh, I want to start being better at this, but immediately what I ran into was shame, where it's like, man, I haven't done this for so long. What is he going to think of me starting now? I haven't done this for so long. What is he going to think of me for starting now? And so for a while, I just kind of like was there, and so when I would come back home from college, I was usually burnt out from ministry, and so I didn't spend time with him. This went on for a very, very long time, and so Maybe you're like me, and there are things in your life that you know you're supposed to be doing and you haven't done for forever, and maybe you want to do them, but you find yourself running into shame because you've never done them before, and you wonder what they're going to think. But ladies and gentlemen, this is where the gospel frees us. This is where Jesus comes in. 
Because the only thing, we've talked about this before, and this is actually a huge thing in our culture, is we're, we all feel shameful about something, and so we're trying to do a million ways to cope with our shame. We try to normalize what we're doing. We try to tell ourselves that it's okay, that it's really not that bad, and we tell ourselves things like that. But ladies and gentlemen, the only way to eliminate shame from our lives is forgiveness from our Heavenly Father. The only way to eliminate shame from our lives is forgiveness from God. And thankfully, that is what Christ offers us when we trust in his work on the cross. Guys, this is the beautiful thing about the gospel, is that God knew what he was getting into when he saved you. God, Jesus knew everything that you were going to do in your life and what I was going to do in my life, and still he went to the cross to die for your sins. And through his resurrection and through our faith in him and turning away from our sins, we have redemption, we have forgiveness, and we have eternal life. God knew what he was getting into when he saved us. And so when we bring our shame to Christ over the things that we've done and over the things that we haven't done but we should have, it frees us to go back to consistency, to go back to running with him. He knows that we're going to stumble as we run after him. There's an amazing quote that's attributed to C.S. Lewis that kind of talks about this, you know, shame over things that we have done. He says, you cannot go back and change the beginning. You can't. Like, what's done is done. The things that you've done, they're done. You cannot go back and change the beginning. But you can start from where you are and change the ending. By the grace of God, you can change the ending. There's another really great quote that I heard in a sermon somewhere. I'm not exactly sure who it's attributed to. But this talks about the things that we haven't done. He's, this person says, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is right now. And I love that because that kind of frees us to realize like, man, like I know there are certain things in my life that I should be doing and I should have done them X amount of years ago, but I can still do them right now. And so me, you know, when the enemy uses, uses shame to keep us from running consistently with the catalyst, we can bring that shame to Jesus to be freed with his forgiveness. This frees us to move past the things that we've done and do the things that we've always known we should do. I'm really super excited to say that by the grace of God, he kind of worked through that shame that I was experiencing with me and my younger brother. And now every time I go down to Liberty to see friends or to go to a wedding or whatever it is, I always make time to go out for a meal with him. And it's really, really precious older brother, younger brother time, just sibling time that I really, really appreciate that, again, I've, I've been missing out on because I've been believing the lies of shame for years and so it's brought me to a really incredible place. And I don't share that story so you guys can think, like, wow, Pastor Sean's such a swell guy. No, I've messed up. I messed up for 15, 20 years. Like, I'm just now starting to get that right. The reason I share that story is that there might be someone in this audience that has something in their mind that they know they've been needing to do for a while, and they haven't been doing it because shame has been blocking them. I want you to know that Jesus forgives you, and you can still start now. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is right now. Hmm. There are many other ways the enemy tries to keep us from consistency with the catalyst. You know, I could go into a million different ways, the strategies and tactics that he uses, and that's important. We should know our enemy. Um, but I want to spend a bit of time concluding this series and kind of putting a nice little bow on it. Um, one of the first things we talked about in this series is that God wants us to grow. He's invested in our lives. He has an idea of who we need to become, and he's so invested, eternally invested in getting us there. But we need to remember that this growth is not about us. Jesus does not want you to become who you're created to be, so that way everyone around you can say, wow, what a swell person this person is. 
Like, that's not the reason why he wants to come into our lives and change us and mold us. He wants us to become who we were created to be because he has plans for us. Plus, and these plans lead to his glory and not our own. If you're a Christian, if you have turned from your sins and trusted in what Jesus has done, that's all it takes to become a Christian and to start following Jesus. If you are a Christian, your life is filled to the brim with purpose. He wants us to become great husbands, great wives, great, great brothers, great sisters, great school teachers, fill in the blank. He wants us to become all of these incredible things so that way, not for our own glory, but for his glory, that we might become catalysts in this world to bring about positive change, not only in our families, but in our communities and in the world at large. That is God's goal for coming into our lives and molding us into who we were created to be. He wants us to become catalysts for in this world, to use the light of Christ that's in our hearts to push back the darkness in the world. William Wilberforce, uh, he's this really incredible man. He was mightily, he was a Christian, mightily used by God to end the slave trade in the British Empire. Really incredible story. There's a lot of movies out there on him. Uh, but it's really beautiful. One of the coolest things I think about him is that he held this belief that a Christian should never be bored. He's like, I truly believe to the core of my being that a Christian should never be bored. Because there is so much suffering, there is so much darkness in the world that we need to be pushing back against. There is always something for a Christian to do. If you're a Christian, your life is filled to the brim with purpose. And so what he dedicated his life to was abolishing the slave trade in the British Empire. And after 20 plus years, he succeeded in it. One of the greatest stories I think about him that I love so much, it really inspires me, is that after 20 years of him fighting in parliament and him fighting on the streets and him advocating for the end of the, the slave trade, for the abolishment of the slave trade, 20 years of him of getting no after no from parliament, of people pushing back against him, of him, his family getting death threats because he's trying to uh, destroy this commerce thing. After 20 years, they finally abolished the slave trade. And it was 4 o'clock in the morning when they made that decision. And so everyone ran out into the streets and they're shouting and they're yelling and they're celebrating because it's finally over. This terrible thing is finally done. And it's said that William Wilberforce is running out and he's screaming. He's super excited that they finally did it. Again, 20 years leading up to this moment. But it says he goes up to his best friend who is with him there, slaps his best friend on the back, and he goes, man, what are we going to abolish next? That's awesome. That's what we should be as Christians. We should never be bored. Our lives are filled to the brim with the purpose that God gives us. And he wants us to be catalysts in this world, in our communities, in our families. But if we want to bring about change in the world, we must first cooperate with the change that he wants to bring in us. I want to end today on two practical points. Seatbelt light is on, you know, the, the plane's coming in for a landing. Two practical points. You know, we've been talking about change, and you may have been thinking about things in your life that you want to change. You know, for the past four weeks, we've been saying this word over and over again. Change, change, change. And if you're like me, you may have a million ideas of the things that you want to change in your life. Again, we're our biggest fans, but we're also our biggest critics. So it's very easy for us to come up with a list of all the things that we want to change. I don't want you to walk out of here and think, man, I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to start going to small groups. I'm going to start a business. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to exercise. Like, I don't want you to walk out. Look, I love the passion. I love the excitement. And it's good for us to desire change in our lives. But the big first practical point that I want to make is that I need you to stop. That we should stop for a second. And I urge you to pick one consistent catalytic habit 
and focus on it. Pick one thing that you would like to see the Lord change and mold out of your life and focus on that. Because if we try to do a million things at once, again, I'm the king of this, you're going to end up burned out and you're going to end back right where you were. So choose one thing that the Lord wants for you to sow into your life and focus on that for a while. And the beautiful thing about that is that the Lord slowly but surely through that one thing will change everything else in your life. There's actually science that backs this up. Um, One of my favorite books that impacted me outside of the Bible, it's actually a secular book, it's called The Power of Habit. It's by a man named Charles Duhigg, and it's about the science. It's a really engaging read. I would highly recommend it. Probably think about it once a week. That's how much it's impacted me. Uh, But he talks about the science of habit forming. And what he talks about is that there's these things called keystone habits. And what they are, I I call them catalytic habits, but keystone habits is basically choosing one thing that you're going to change in your life one positive thing that you're going to install into your life, and that will slowly but surely trickle down into the rest of your life. He uses the example of exercise. He says people that exercise normally start eating healthier. They normally start being more patient with their family and with their coworkers. They normally start smoking less, and they normally, like slowly but surely, all that one change they make in their life triggers a widespread change. And I believe that God is behind this change. Um, in fact, he talks about a church in the book. It's really fascinating about how habits, the Lord uses habits to change people's lives. And so if you're here today and you have all these ideas of what you want to change, I encourage you to focus on one. The next thing, so we, don't, we shouldn't try everything at once, my second practical point, is that we should not expect ourselves to change immediately. Do not expect yourself. Show yourself some grace. Do not expect yourself to change immediately. Um, one of my friends, one of my best friends since, like, since kindergarten, uh, his name's Tommy, and uh, he's, he's really, really awesome. I'm grateful for his friendship. Um, and he, uh, he's, he does spoken word. He's a really incredible writer, and so he writes spoken word. I know, very artsy. I feel like I should have a beret on. Um, and so he's super, su- uh, really, really great at spoken word. He'll share these with me every now and again. And one of the lines he did and one of the ones that he showed me really stood out to me. You may think it's a little corny, but I think it's fantastic. I, I really love it. Uh, but he makes this point in his spoken word where he says, I'm not a werewolf. I can't change overnight. I'm not a werewolf. I can't change overnight. And you know, that's kind of, you know, maybe, maybe you think that's a little corny, maybe you think that's a little silly, but a lot of us in here think that we're werewolves. We think that we're going to change one thing and then ultimately, boom, like we wake up the next day a completely different person, person. That's not how God works. That's not how life works. Again, going back to this scripture that we have here, 2 Corinthians tells us that we're being changed by God from one degree of glory to another. This takes time. This takes time and it takes consistency, which is what we should be striving for. So remember that today. None of us are werewolves. We can't change overnight. And so we need to cooperate with God, with what he wants to do in our lives, and not be surprised when we stumble and fall. Not be surprised when the enemy comes in to distract us, to tempt us, or throw shame at us. We should not be surprised when that happens. But even when we fall, we're not going to be cast headlong, Scripture tells us. But God will pick us back up, and we keep striving for consistency together. Again, God knew what he was getting into when he saved us. And he will see us through to the end. So let us walk with this great catalyst to become the catalyst in this world that the world desperately needs. Let's bow our heads and pray. 
Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for the way you enter into our lives and change everything. We thank you for the instruction that you give us. We thank you just so much for the grace that you show us because we all need it. So please guide us. Please mold us. Let us walk out of here with things that we know we want to focus on. We know that you want us to focus on. And by your spirit and by your grace, may we be changed into who we were created to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.